It is a truth universally acknowledged that hurt people hurt other people. Sometimes we lash out willingly, meaning to do it, wanting other people to suffer like we have suffered. Sometimes we are so immobilized by our pain that we hurt others unintentionally, sometimes without even noticing that they're there. From the richest neighborhoods to the poorest, from the halls of daycare to the halls of government, from the smallest churches to the largest businesses, hurt people hurt other people. But there is another truth that is just as constant and yet almost universally overlooked, and that is that healed people heal other people. From Gandhi to Dr. King, from Polly Murray to Oscar Romero, from Mary Magdalene to Simon's mother-in-law, when people are able to access and accept healing, those people then turn around and participate in the healing of others. The woman cured of a fever gets up and begins to serve Jesus so that he can heal everyone else in the city from what it sounds like. Her healing doesn't end with her healing. Healing is just as hard to contain as hurt. Our reading this morning about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, Simon Peters, and others is paired in this sermon series with quality neighborhoods. Neighborhoods that exist in a world where many of us feel like the pain around us is a matter for desperation much of the time. And I want to offer a witness and a message that hope and healing are real, not just a couple of millennia ago, but now and here. And so I want to share with you this morning the story that shows me this the most clearly right now. Like most stories of community healing, it would be hard to tell in a moment. It is a complicated story, but it is a beautiful story. And this is how it goes. If you should find yourself in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with a half hour to spare someday, take Packard Road west out of downtown about a mile or two, until on your left you see a square white building with, in front of it, two iron figures, a Christian cross, and next to it, a Star of David. This is the home of Genesis of Ann Arbor. Genesis of Ann Arbor is one organization that owns this building, but is composed of two member congregations, one an Episcopal church and one a Reformed Jewish synagogue. It was created as one organization to be a witness to the community in Ann Arbor to say, this is possible. Even if all you see and all you know is that there is a cross and a Star of David side by side 
every time you drive past it. This much is possible. It did not originally begin, though, with the intent to become necessarily a witness to the community in that way. It began simply out of a desire for Reformed Jews not to have to drive an hour to Detroit to the nearest Reformed synagogue. And when you begin as a tiny, tiny congregation of any faith, usually you begin without the resources immediately to have your own building. And so they looked for a place that would be available for worship on a Friday night and a Saturday morning. And a church seemed like a good fit if they could find a church that would want them. And they found an Episcopal church that at that point was mostly a Sunday morning congregation and said, well, yeah, what are we going to use our building for on Friday night and Saturday? We only use our building on Sunday. And at that time, it was true. And so these two congregations shifted the worship space so that the cross was rolled in on Sunday morning and rolled out on Sunday afternoon and the ark was rolled in on Friday night and rolled out on Saturday afternoon. And as time went on, the Jewish congregation began to grow and grow, and it was soon equal in size and then larger in size than this Episcopal congregation. And things started to shift, and the partnership became equal, and a new sanctuary was built, and the building had to be co-owned, and a new partnership that was formed that did have this intention that part of what they were doing there was to be who they were, to be a Christian congregation and to be a Jewish congregation, secure in those identities. And part of what they were there to do was to be secure in those identities side by side in partnership. And it was beautiful. It was created for good and it was beautiful. And it was made up of human beings. And so, as you may have guessed, it did not stay all good and beautiful all the time. It was a shared space. The congregations fluctuated in size. The congregations fluctuated in budget. Questions began to arise. Should we have a bigger building? Should we actually have a smaller building? Why are we paying for a bigger building than we would actually need because somebody else is bigger? If they have twice the budget, why are we paying the same amount toward the building that they have? Who has what kind of privilege in a system where actually privilege has gotten all mixed up because there are all sorts of different levels of privilege at work here? Until 40 years into a relationship, the relationship had changed. Because, of course, any relationship after 40 years will have had to change. What siblings, what spouses have the same exact relationship between the same exact people that they had 40 years earlier? And yet, the system had not kept up with those changes. And so by the time that I began working there on the staff of the church, there were moments that were truly beautiful still. And there were a lot of moments where inside the building, 
It, what we said we were witnessing to did not feel like it matched the truth of our experience for both congregations. We had lost the same vision. We had different ideas about what we were doing there, different ideas about what it meant to have our own identity individually as congregations within our own religions, to be bound to those identities and still to be part of this shared identity. We didn't agree anymore, for instance, on who should have the final say on things, the boards of the, the congregations or the board of the building. Who is in charge of whom? All the different things that drive us crazy in our relationships at work, at home, in romantic relationships, in friendships, in parenting, money, power, relationships, who gets to make what decisions, we're all rubbing against each other. And what has st had started off created for such good had been damaged by the inherent brokenness and sinfulness of being inhabited by human beings. And so for 40 years it had blossomed and broken and blossomed and broken and blossomed and broken until it felt more broken than blossoming. And so we had a choice. We could either try to figure out something new that would redeem this for better so that we could all live and flourish from within the relationship, or we could resign ourselves to an ending of the relationship, to going our separate ways. And at that moment, I have to say that it was not guaranteed, it did not look certain that the relationship was going to be able to be saved and still leave both congregations able to be truly who they needed to be. But we sure wanted to try. So we delayed celebrating our 40th anniversary rather than celebrate something that we couldn't celebrate wholeheartedly. And we tried a lot of different things. We tried new bylaws, and we tried new building staff who weren't from either congregation, and we tried this and that and the other, and nothing fixed it. We changed a lot of things, but we did not change that there was hurt on both sides that was still present. And what finally turned the tide was really just one small moment in one day of one weekend where the three boards came together with a mediator to work things out. And there were six of us in this one working group. We were tasked with considering what it would be, feel like, what it would look like, what it, the design would be to have a cost and space use plan that felt equitable to both congregations. You know, tiny stuff. There were two members of the temple leadership, one of whom was also part of the Genesis leadership. There were two members of the church leadership, one of whom was also part of the Genesis leadership. And then the senior rabbi and me. I was not the senior pastor, I was the associate pastor.
and I don't remember anymore. It was only a couple years ago, but I don't remember who in the group said, well, can we start by sharing what doesn't feel equitable now? Because I don't really see how what we have isn't fair already. And so we started and finished that day just by going around and sharing what had, was feeling hurtful. And we uncovered things that we did not know were there. We started to talk about the fact that none of us knew what to do with one congregation that very reasonably felt hurt and unsafe when they heard, but your budget is twice the size of ours because what they heard was, you're Jews, you must have money. And we uncovered that on the other side, we didn't know how to keep up with a budget that on paper, at least, looked twice the size of ours. There were any number of things that we uncovered. The experience of working in the building that was foreign to the members of the congregations who didn't work in the building day after day after day. Because a conflict feels different if you visit it one hour every two weeks than if you live in it day after day, after moment, after moment, after second, after second. And what came of that was that that became the basis of a new task force to say, forget what we've had. Let's start fresh, and let's start with storytelling. And at that moment, neither the rabbi nor I knew that the other was beginning to look at what was next for us. That I was in search processes, that he was looking at retirement, that both of us were looking at our co-leadership of this group as maybe something we could help leave behind, but something where it couldn't be us answering. It had to be the people that were going to live with this long term that put the plan together and that all we could do was help hold the space for that. But as we stepped out and this group started to meet again and again and again, I lost track. And then I started to hear stories. The 41st anniversary celebration of this Genesis relationship that had such visible joy even in the photos, let alone in the living of it. The, the Thanksgiving service, the joint Thanksgiving service, that when I preached it in 2014, had this palpable, will this be the last sense? What is it we're really giving thanks for sense? That was just overwhelmingly, by 2017, a thanksgiving not only for what people were bringing in blessing-wise from their own lives, but for the life that had been recreated and redeemed for better there. The work of healing took three years. I finally heard this last fall that that task force 
had done its work, had spent a year continuing to meet as the new plan was implemented, and had met then again to say, good enough for now, and had ended their work together. But what was created for good and damaged by brokenness and sin had been redeemed for better. And yet, even that is not all of the story. Because if you remember where we started, hurt people hurt people, and healed people heal people. And healing cannot be contained. And so once this work of healing had begun in this place, between congregations, something else started to happen in the last year or two. And that is that within, maybe it happened in the temple congregation too, I don't know, but within the Christian congregation, other hurts started to surface. The senior pastor's predecessor who had left because of sexual misconduct that had been admitted to but never dealt with started to come up again. There was still hurt there. There was still mistrust there. There was still a lot of work to be done around who had what kind of authority in that place, who was allowed to have what kind of relationships in that place, what did it look to lo- like to love one another in that place. The hurt wasn't all outsourced. It wasn't all about what they were doing to us. It was deeper than that. And it started to bubble up. And more conflicts started to come to the surface. And so that congregation has had a lot of healing work to do. And they're not through it yet. But they are in it. We don't know where that story is going to lead next as they work through a mediation process of their own, as they pray through this. But there is a people there who believe that healing is possible, who believe that they can be changed to be a part of that because they have seen it happen. And so while we don't know where that story ends, we do know that healing breeds healing. And we do know that God is in it and God is good. And that this is a playing out of the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus that is not about a magic fix. Despite the way we tell some of the smaller stories about Jesus, where it looks like much of what Jesus does is a magic fix here and a magic fix there. Despite even how we sometimes talk about what happened on the cross as a one-moment magic fix, everything's better, created for good, broken by sin, redeemed for better, all done. Until we look at the world around us and realize, eh, sort of. The story that I read in scripture about God's action with God's people, the story that I read in Michigan 
about God's action with God's people is not about what was the organizational design strategy that we used to affect that magic moment where everything changed. We used the same strategy as every other work group in that room. It's about what God did in a group of people who are willing to have something happen, who are willing to be vulnerable enough to participate in healing that hurt, who are willing to stick with that process and stay in the hurt that was real and also be willing to move out of the hurt as healing was offered. The story of Jesus in the first century and in the 21st century is of a world not only created for good and broken by sin and redeemed for better, but a world into which people then are healed and sent to heal once we have received, once we have received that redemption together, two by two, Christian by Jew, black by white, gay by straight, two by two, sent together to heal. The power of God to heal is occasionally seen in places where it looks like a magic fix, but is most often seen in these kinds of relationships. Jesus' relationship with Simon Peter is what got him into the house where Simon's mother-in-law was sick and where he was invited in and given the authority then to lay his hands on her and heal her and where then she got up and served him and, and offered a space for the entire city to gather around the door and bring people to be healed. This is what differentiates between well-meaning outsiders coming in to fix the neighborhoods that we see, whether they're ours or not, that need fixing, and quality neighborhoods where we stay and are in relationship, and therefore the quality is sustainable. We can't skip to the end and come in by ourselves to heal the world. We have to first be open to God working in us to heal us, to make us healed people who can be a part of the healing of others. When I first started working in a Genesis congregation, I was told about the mission of Genesis. In fact, before I started working there was much of what I was told about, that the mission of Genesis was to be an example to the community, an example of interfaith cooperation and partnership and friendship. I was told about it and then I started working there, and it didn't look like what I was being told about. And what we came to understand was that we had inherited the mission from 40 years earlier, but few of us still had the initial vision. And without a vision, as it says in Proverbs, the people perish. There was a vision that God had given to the founders of Genesis 40 years earlier, the vision that said in their preamble to the Genesis Agreement that although the world has always been torn by distrust, suspicion, waste, prejudice, and the threat of economic upheaval and war, that now more than ever people would have to trust, conserve, believe, give, and love 
if we and our heirs are to survive as the children of God. It was a vision of relationship, a relationship that would be marked by respect and love and trust, by doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God in unique and intersecting ways. After those three years of work to receive and revive and renew the vision for the next 40 years, the vision now reads as follows. By daily embracing mutual trust and respect, we partner with God and one another to heal a broken world. It's that daily work that is so hard and so necessary for us to be healed people, healing people, partnering with God to heal a broken world. The more people you have in a neighborhood who have experienced healing, and the more deeply and frequently those people have experienced healing, the more powerful the force of healing becomes in that place until it becomes inescapable. We were all created for good. We have all been damaged by sin and brokenness. God wants to redeem us all for better. And if we will allow it, God will heal us and send us out to help heal the world. This is a pattern that is not mine, by the way. It comes from a project called Big Story by James Chung, if you want the citation. But created for good, damaged by sin, redeemed for better, and sent for he- to heal is our pattern as the people of God, over and over, over and over, and most often in the small, the mundane, the quotidian, rather than the great and the glamorous. We wish it were otherwise. We want to be able to make the occasional grand gesture that will give us quality neighborhoods, healthy communities, whole spirits. We don't want the summary that a friend on that task force gave this fall that, despite both sides wanting this to work, it was slow going and difficult at times. I certainly got frustrated and discouraged at various points. But we kept listening and talking to one another And eventually we found a mutually agreeable way forward to continue on in this unusual experiment. The minutiae of budgets and calendars easily overshadowed the inherent weirdness of what we were doing. It is pretty easy, he said, to despair over the state of our society. But the country that gives us neo-fascist terror is the same one that gives us genesis of Ann Arbor. It is possible for very different people to live together and work together without compromising any essential part of their identity. After a generation or two, it becomes unremarkable, even boring, until circumstances jog your memory that this sort of pluralism doesn't just happen. It takes patience, generosity, the ability to listen, and a really high tolerance for boring meetings. We don't want boring meetings. We don't want healing to come through spreadsheets and phone calls and having to do the same things day after day after day. We want to be able to say, God, heal us, give us peace, 
and then go to sleep and wake up to a world that has been magically fixed for us. But God offers us something that is, in the long run, better than just magic. God offers us a place at the table, a chance to be part of making a just peace in our neighborhoods. God offers us partnership in the reality of healing. So yes, let us pray, God give us peace. But let us pray also, God help us to be people who participate in your peace, who create peace around us. More than peace, give us a hunger for justice that will not be sated until justice is found. Give us a craving that will not be resolved until we are in right relationship with our neighbors. Give us that discontent that will lead us not to violence or isolation, but to be those for whom the world waits. Give give us that yearning to praise and thank you for the light we see. Give us that vision to see what you see, that vision without which we perish. In our hearts, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, Lord, Give us not an easy ignorance of hurt, but the true healing only you can offer us, the healing that will not be contained. And then, Lord, then give us peace. Amen.